0: Hi, my name is Steve Wishart, and I'm the IB World Schools Manager for Australasia at the International Baccalaureate. For this episode, we've brought together IB leaders from across the globe to share their thoughts on how leaders can work more closely together to support each other in the new landscape they are all facing. They will also be discussing the new PSP focus on school culture to improve learning environments. We are joined by Darlene Fisher, host of our leadership podcast series, and panelists Chris Wright, Director of Education at Woodward Schools UK, James McDonnell, Director of International School of Brussels, Cheryl Keegan, Principal of Ningbo International School, and Angela Meikle, IB World Schools Manager and former head of elementary at Hanoi International School.
1: Hello, everyone. My name is Angela Meekle, joining you today from Singapore. I work for the IB as a world schools manager and have some experience within IB schools for the past 15 years, um, extensively in administration, of course, as an educator. Importantly, um, my most recent role also was as a head of elementary in Vietnam.
2: Uh, my name is Chris Wright. I'm joining you from the UK, uh, a lead educator with the IB. My background is I've been a head of three schools, the first in the Middle East, the others in the UK. And currently I'm working with a family of schools of 48 schools um, overseeing their education in the UK.
3: Hi, I'm James MacDonald. I'm presently the director of the International School of Brussels. And I've uh, been an IB educator for over 20 years and had a number of stops throughout Asia in my career.
4: Hi, I'm Cheryl Keegan. I'm head of the Ningbo Huamao International School in China, in Ningbo, and have a long association with the IB in various guises.
5: Thank you everyone. It's great to have you all here. I'm Darlene Fisher and the moderator of this uh, IB leadership series of podcasts. And today's topic, we're really looking at community again, but with this particular focus on how the new program standards and practices have a new focus uh, on developing community, uh, both within the school and also between schools and the global set group of schools um, that are IB. We're also looking a little bit at how the COVID experience has impacted us as communities. And I wonder, we'll have a look both at the challenges and also what silver linings we can come out with and then how that's going to be perhaps impacting long-term the new program standards and practices and communities as schools develop. Can we start first with some of the challenges that have been faced by schools within their communities communication-wise relationships what has COVID done that's been very difficult for us to deal with
2: let me just jump off your PSP darlings because the new programs were based on um, an old concept really um, of a learning organization you know, as a school, as a learning organisation. And I find that might be a helpful lens to start my thinking off on it, because there's five sort of elements, all of which have been challenged um, during the current times. The first part is sense-making, system thinking. How do we make sense of the times we're going through? How do we as leaders make sense for the community we are leading? Another element is about personal mastery in a learning organisation. How do our staff get skilled up to work in a very, very different way. And also how do students get skilled up to work in a different virtual way too? And I think the third element is mental models. I mean, how we do things and who we are have been seriously challenged. So the mental models we have of how we do schooling, how we do wellbeing, all those have been very seriously challenged. And I suppose the last element i would mentioned is the idea of team learning in a learning organisation. And I think that's probably has been one of the big benefits of this. How have we collaboratively worked together to learn in a different way? So I suppose my view comes at it from the point of view looking at the learning organization behind the school and how that's both been challenged, but also potentially how it could be a very hopeful way forward.
3: James? Yeah, I think one thing that's been uh, interesting with this is that I've certainly found is that we've been talking a lot about how distance learning is going to be kind of the future of education and how we will be You can learn anything anywhere at any time. And I think there's been a very strong desire amongst communities around the world is to come back together and that it's been a reminder that learning is is very social. But we've also been able to run this incredible experiment, which I hope we don't lose some of the um, impact of about what type of delivery is appropriate for what type of learning. And I really do think we need to unpack this further as educators after we're, we're outside of the crisis because one thing I think we've found is that maybe our focus on creating independent learners was a bit hit and miss, um, that some students really excelled in this period, others didn't, and are there things we could have done to um, ensure that everyone could be successful from a distance? And so these are some big questions that you know, COVID has, has been hoisted upon us, but now we've, we've tried some things we wouldn't have tried otherwise, and it's really interesting to see how we're gonna be able to pick up on this in, in the future years.
5: Thank you. I think that is really picking up on some big issues that are coming through. Cheryl?
3: I have three
4: things and I'd better say them all or I'll forget them. The first one is, it's interesting that international school communities, and I'm in my 11th country, so I have some uh, form in this game. International communities are very mixed and some people are anxious to get back to their own people if you will or communities and they perceive that as where older parents are or whatever and other people make their communities as they travel and I think that we as leaders need to be aware of both kinds of people and lots of different kinds of people so that's my first thought the second thought is that um, I'm in a traditional country China is traditional regardless of its speedy progress and I'm in a traditional school in the sense that we have an owner and we have huge companies supporting the school. It's a private school, but government connections. And what I've noticed in China is that people are going back to what they've always done. And I don't think that that's the best way to go. In other words, they're looking a bit like accreditation bodies because I'm just filling in an accreditation form as we speak. They're looking at accreditation bodies which are looking at outcomes. You know, measurable outcomes and surety and and whatever. And I don't know that that's actually the way forward for leaders. I think we have to be comfortable in things which are not sure. And I think that it's really important that we show our staff that we are and that by discussion and by exploration we'll find a way and it may not be the old way or the perfect way or the standardized way, but it will be a way to go forward.
1: Thank you. Yeah, Angela. I was reflecting on as a as a challenge, um, you know, even in, in peace times, let alone times of great disruption that we are in now, um, schools are complex systems and uh, which are constantly evolving. However, that has really, um, the pace of that has greatly shifted in the way that now being in a very disrupted um, time and moment of history, we're really needing to think in a a much more rapid way about how we are moving to ensure that our systems are responding to the needs of our communities um, and thinking about really the quality of our relationships um, within our communities so the ways in which we can support all of the stakeholders um, and I think a challenge really was making sure that we have the systems um, in place as we moved into distance or coming back into face-to-face learning that can ensure um, really that those relationships are are really strengthened and continue to um, be of of good value for our systems moving forward.
5: Yeah I think what all of you are saying is uh, connected in the sense that what COVID has done is challenge the whole community and all sections of the community. And you can't move forward without being aware of the whole community and how everything is interconnected. So looking after individuals and groups within the community and being aware of being challenged and how you support your staff to move forward seems to be some of the themes that are going through and as James you you've said the challenge to what we've looked at as education and what that means for us and the learning organization and how you lead different sorts of people under different stress as Cheryl was talking about so there's a variety of challenges that we've been provided if we can see you've already started to to talk about some of the benefits that are coming out of these challenges that we've experienced. What do you see as some of the the bigger benefits to different sections of your community or some of the actions that are developing with education or with parents or with teachers that are perhaps going to become much more established
1: as we go through because of what we've had to face with COVID? Angela. In essence, being being forced into um, situations which we very much didn't um, predict, or no one might have predicted, globally, all of us would be connected through this. Is that our behaviors and our patterns have have changed significantly, and with that, um, I think our belief in what we thought was possible also has shifted in in terms of building, um, you know, our collective efficacy um, as school communities, but also I would say the personal efficacy of, of our students and our teachers um, and ourselves as leaders um, in sort of, if, if I can do this, what else can I do or what might be possible? So I think that's been something that has been a real opportunity is to, is to keep questioning the ways in which we have all of the structures in place. You know, why do we do things? Why do we do it this way? Um, and who are we? and
2: who do we want to be? Just taking on what Angela said there, what's been interesting to look at is the way that how certain people, sometimes they're teachers, sometimes they're middle leaders, have really stepped up. They've really taken the initiative, taken that agency and have flourished. And in the flourishing, they brought the students with them. What's interesting is also how some people you would in normal stable positions, sometimes they're in middle leadership, sometimes they're in senior leadership, have you know have been have been almost frozen they haven't they haven't had that creativity they haven't been able to be adaptable so from a leader's point of view it's been quite interesting to know the sort of people we're working with those who have got those flexible and maybe we should be giving a lot more initiative to um, and also almost make them the people who are leading on the new initiatives and I think that's quite exciting to see how if, if we do it well how it can breathe new life into the school community, into that learning part and who takes the lead. James.
3: I think just piggybacking on what Angela and Chris have said, we've shown to ourselves, and I think we possibly have a new self-confidence that we're a lot more agile as organizations than we might have thought we were before. And sometimes that sense of confidence and belief collectively that we could do things differently and that we don't need to stop with the changes can be an incredibly powerful thing. Um, Stephen Johnson had this great book where good ideas come from and, uh, and looking at creativity and all the rest and he has this concept called the shadow boundaries, which you think are boundaries but they're not really there it's just you had to challenge them and I can't help but think that a lot of the things that we've been going through over the last nine months have really been Pushing back some shadow boundaries where we thought we couldn't deliver education this way, or we couldn't do certain things, as Chris mentioned with the middle leaders and uh, Angela relationships. A lot of that stuff has just been our own selves holding ourselves back. And so, our question has to be: What are our, our shadow boundaries, and are we going to keep them? Keep them there when we come back from this?
2: I like I like that concept, James. I mean, I think the the challenge for me though is to see a number of our schools who've almost wanted to go back to rebooting the number of our schools have actually started to assess children two or three weeks in, frightened that they'll, you know, the exam system has been messed up last year. So we better start assessing now and find out where they are. And I can't help but thinking, oh, for goodness sake, can't we just, can't we just decide to do things in a slightly different way, as opposed to a panic reboot about where we were before it all started?
5: Yeah, absolutely. Cheryl? Um,
4: just talking about uh, different boundaries I've been thinking about service and uh, and the fact that uh, we're unable to have our normal migrant schools visit or go out to other people which is what we do and I've been trying to along with the coordinators responsible I've been trying to think about it and it occurs to me that one thing that the the pandemic has done is it has shown us that essentials, that we assumed were essentials and everyone needed are not essentials. And so we have to revisit what need might be. And if we're going to say, be looking at uh, schools in our environments, because often our schools are are the wealthiest in the environment. If we're going to be looking at that, we might look at it differently. And we might have opportunities to offer uh, something different to those groups, which will bring them more up In parity with those who have great internet or one-on-one devices or whatever, it might be a whole rethink about
5: that, which I I don't think would be bad. Absolutely. You've talked all of you about some very big ideas that perhaps are are coming forward into it. I would also like to could we have a look at relationships, perhaps with parents, as a small focus on how have these changed. Through this uh, experience, because certainly parents were suddenly in every classroom um, and are wanting to know what's going on and having a lot more to say in many cases. Are there positives um, to take forward out of these?
2: I'm going to start being negative. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I let James, Angela, and Shelley. You know, I'm I'm distraught. I'm a parent. I'm also distraught to see what's happening. Teachers have gone back into their classrooms. They've gone back into their zones. And communication, we're no longer in the classrooms. Communication is still with their newsletters coming out to us. So there's got to be a middle way. I mean, it was a wake up call about how can we involve the parents, you know, who after all, according to research, have 50% influence on a kid's life, the parents and the peers. How can we involve them in developing and working with the children in a holistic way? It's almost they've gone back to school and a lot of our schools have gone back physically. The drawbridge has been drawn up from 8.30 in the morning until six o'clock in the afternoon. And parents only get the drawbridge down again at six o'clock. And schools, I fear, have become islands. Now, I'm going to be negative and I'll let my three colleagues be very positive. But that's my fear. We've gone back to an old method of schooling.
5: I would add to it that there are a lot of schools that have gone face-to-face that can't let parents into the community. It's a legal thing for health reasons and so they're not allowed into the building. And, yes, I understand that's not what you're talking about, but it doesn't stop communication, does it? Anyone else? Different perspective?
4: Additional? We're inviting webinars because they're not allowed in at the moment, although that's imminent. And uh, people are tuning in in their hundreds. Um, They want something. They want to see us. I think Chris is right. You know, they were there with their children feeding them snacks while they were doing whatever they were doing. And I think that it's important for them to maintain that contact. And we took on a human face. It wasn't perfect, but it was there and it was regular and it was trustworthy, which is something that. In my community, the, um, the predominant culture is not an English culture and they choose our school because they're sending their precious children off into another culture eventually. And so there's an enormous uh, amount of worry and anxiety even in that process. And now that they're unsure about, you know, who will accept them and whether it will be safe where they're going, it's multiplied. And so uh, it's really important that they see our space to face and that we are, still live for them in any way we can be. Thank you,
5: James.
3: Yeah, I was gonna say it, it's been a really interesting sort of phases of experiment because when we went fully distant, the parents were involved in every class potentially where they at least were in the uh, same household as when these were being delivered. Whereas now we're, we're back in session but we can't have the parents on campus. So as a school director, I feel like I'm really out of touch with what the parents might be thinking. And if we do have a webinar, it's sort of a one one direction thing. And our teachers are delivering lessons largely from the front of the room and trying to maintain social distance, right? At least in the the upper parts of the school. So here we have this strange sort of anomaly where we're back in school, yet we've kind of shifted back in time in terms of pedagogy because we need to keep away from kids and keep them from grouping too much and, and all of these things. So it, it's not a simple answer in terms of the, you know, what is the role of the parents in this? Because we've actually tried a few, few different phases of them, them being completely kept off campus to them being in the back of every classroom, right? And hopefully we're going to have have a bit of a happy blend, in between. But I, but I take Chris's point. There's going to be a very natural response to all of this when we get back to normal is to go back to exactly what it was two years ago, because we're humans and we want that comfort and security. And I think that's where as leaders we need to figure out what key guidance can we give? What non-negotiables might there be? in One or two areas that would allow us to capture some of the learning that we've uncovered through this experiment, so.
5: I think finding ways to engage parents in schools is gonna be an important part of it because they've become more experienced and more, I think potentially more vocal and want to keep that connection. Angela, Mm -hmm.
1: sorry. Oh, I was just gonna build on what you were saying, Darlene, actually, which was that now returning back to um, students being on campus, but uh, parents not being able to access to the same degree that they were able to see all of those lessons like James was mentioning. um, Is that what I have noticed is that parents are advocating for themselves and what they would like to see out of um, the curriculum or knowing more about what's happening in school than they might have before, because they have an awareness um, and understanding of, of what is is going on or they assume is going on. So they've been able to sort of um, put that out there as you know, could this be something that we have more information because we're not able to go to campus or um, or just getting small pieces. So that's something I think um, they understand the rationale for health and safety, but also being able to still want to be engaged as partners. So continuing to connect.
5: One of the schools I'm visiting at the moment is talking about how much easier it is to have parent-teacher interviews by Zoom because parents don't have to leave and get in traffic, et cetera, et cetera. So perhaps something along those lines might develop to be a more regular part of school so that uh, the connections between parents and the school can continue um, to be a meaningful part of the student's life.
2: What, you, what you've got there, darling, is, is a wonderful example of how it really could be a benefit because when you're on Zoom, you're directly looking in someone's eyes, you've directly got their attention. Whereas you think about most parent consultations, where you could have hundreds of parents, uh, 50 staff in one big hall. I mean, you can increase the quality if we think about, well, where can we have quality experiences with parents? And where can teaching and parental relationships become a lot more personalised using the situation we're in? I think it's just, it's a bit of creativity of thinking, which I mean, most of us in schools have decided to do board meetings on Zoom. My gosh, they're a lot more tight and efficient than having long meetings after school. If we can do meetings on Zoom, surely there are ways in which we can involve parents in a much more personalized way, uh, talking about our children.
5: So hopefully there are a variety of ideas that uh, school leaders can consider about engaging parents within the future. Are there? similar ideas about um, maintaining the collaboration that was developed I guess amongst teachers in particular. I'm not only within schools but between schools and between schools globally there was a huge outpouring of this. Um, What's happening in in your schools at the moment and do you think that this is an aspect that perhaps can be a positive out of COVID?
3: I think we saw a phase of schools connecting and sharing a lot of great practice around how you open schools safely and some of the mechanics about delivering lessons. But I actually have felt more disconnected through this phase in a lot of ways because so much time and energy is going into running your own campus that you don't have a lot of extra time and energy to spend on connecting with people and having really generative conversations beyond your campus. And in some ways, I, I wonder if our IB community is a little weaker because we haven't had an opportunity to get together at conferences because people have been having to focus so much energy on just keeping their own families, communities safe and, and just delivering the basic education that I think we might have lost a bit in terms of our international connections beyond sort of that immediate necessary conversations. I don't, I don't know what my other colleagues think about that, but I I hope we get that back. And I'm a little worried that we might have gone a little too much inside ourselves through this phase and have lost some of the the magic that is the IB community.
1: Angela? Um, I I, I wonder about um, in thinking about phases, like James is mentioning, you know, in in March, February, March, you know, when really things were closed and, and people were, more or less schools, were more or less in a similar space of closure or coming to closure um, before the end of the year. So there was real, a sense of connection in that um, there was sharing of resources and making sure that there was um, that connection to be able to, to see your fellow leaders or specialists um, in your domain. So moving back. There's been a disbursement of some schools who are remaining closed, um, some who are reopening, and just at different levels in which schools are now. I think, you know, some are focused now on just making sure the campus is safe and you're doing your temperature checks, whereas others who are still closed are, are just in very different spaces. So, in terms of where your energy goes, um, that could be your energy source might be just directed um, quite differently globally.
2: If you wanted to add yeah I, I totally build on especially what james and angela said but I, i've given up slightly alternative one thing i've seen is the um massive increase in online learning in the ib world um and i think so there has been some form of global connection for example i've done two sort of what you and i would call face-to-face but they're on zoom quite intense um but we're either with people across the world which they would not normally be able to afford to do or want to do and even across regions it's the first time i've done sort of face-to-face zoom across regions normally you're within a region with so i think that's a benefit when you can get people from cambodia and belgium and amsterdam talking to each other that's one and then on, tomorrow I start, which is really interesting, I start a, an online um, workshop with the whole of an elementary school staff in the US. And why is that? Because an elementary school, they're only teaching from 8.30 to 12.30. So the classes are only, you know, because all the children are at home still, they're not in school. So that means in the afternoon, they've got this wonderful opportunity all their school staff have having professional development. So over the next four weeks, Uh, they've done a fantastic deal with the IB I won't tell you what the price was it was amazing Um, but they've actually got all of their staff being developed up with the IB now they would never have been able to do that before so I think there is a different way of doing it but I certainly from the point of view of a leader I think our focus has been so distracted on the safety and well-being and logistics that it's not been the top of our priorities uh, on that I think there's certainly
5: potential but Cheryl? I think that um, it will snap
4: back in the sense that we're probably a little ahead. China's a little ahead of uh, of the rest of the world in snapping back. So we're not business as usual. It's more normal outside than many of my friends around the world would say. A um, couple of things. We had a lovely dialogue with the principals in Ningbo in my city. And I we haven't lost it, but I think that we're all retreating a little because there are some wounded schools and there are some schools that maybe are struggling more than others, and people are less willing to share about that, but I think that will come back because it was uh, it was wonderful for us all. Another thing is that um but I think my inclination is when people talk about continuing to upskill, we've been talking about continuing to connect with parents because you know they, they'll lose that joy of connection. I think we also need to really concentrate on continuing to upskill teachers. And so we are going to require some online evening or weekend classes be done for connection. And we're going to look at the community and say, are you ready? Has the child got a learning space that's quiet? what have you provided, etc., and have the parents in it as well, but more just to enhance the confidence of the teachers because, as you said earlier, some went to it easily and some struggled, and same with students. So we're going to continue that mode so it's not so unusual, I think. The other thing would be too that um, that I think that, it is refreshing when you can talk to friends. I think we might've all had this situation where we're emailing or we're zooming with friends around the world. And when you're feeling a bit isolated, that is good. So I imagine that, that in time, the IB community will come back more closely and groups will form and people will be online more and get that comfort back that perhaps conferences gave us before.
5: Thank you. I think, um we can maybe then just finish off with an idea and a bigger perspective on the IB community. Do you think what is the potential impact or what are the things you would like to see from the IB community as a whole globally about uh, from from COVID? We've talked about what's happening in schools in our communities, what would we like to get out of it as the community of IB schools globally um, out of this perspective. Is it, as Chris is talking, more connections between the regions for professional development and conversations? It, up until now, it's been very regional professional development. Is it possible that it should be in a much more in a global perspective and that would help? What other ideas or thoughts do you have on how the new program standards of practices can help build both school communities, maybe locally, nationally and or globally? Mm.
1: Well, Darlene, that's interesting because the conference, the quote global conference, will be the first global conference this year where it is across all regions. Um, And so it will be quite interesting to see how that will work with time zones. And I know the planning team is looking at making sure that no matter what region that you are in, um, there will be opportunity to connect with colleagues from other regions, and then you can access the keynote speakers, but you will be having some shared experience um, to that. So I think that will be a good point of reflection to see this is something that, again, we never would have trialed uh, previously, but it's a great opportunity. And then we'll be um, reflecting and and doing a lot of learning from that. And that's a a good segue also into how the, the new 2020 program standards and practices I mean they they have a structure by which it is it is baked in that you need to look at culture and environment and it really it explicitly puts learning at the center um, making sure that the context of the school is really surrounding all of those pieces so I think you know moving forward as we think about what systems and structures help support schools coming out of this phase I think that's something that we can we can look to to ensure that we're making a focus on our community, on well-being, um, and on our culture.
3: One thing I think could be interesting as well, and and kind of building on that idea of connecting everyone, is there will be some best practice and ideas and approaches that come out of what we've learned over the last nine months. And I, I just wonder if it would be possible if the IB or some of the networks could try to capture some of this and distill it into some sort of documentation that could be shared or or maybe a, a series of talks that people could say what they are doing differently as a result of what they've learned through this period and how they're going to approach their work and delivery of the curriculum as a result of all of this. And that could play into official IB documentation as well, because again, we really, all of us have said it, we've had this opportunity to be highly disrupted and so let's make sure after the dust settles we have some things we can showcase afterwards and and use it as a a bit of momentum for us
5: yeah chris
2: the ib have collated wonderful links about covid-19 now they've used the concept covid-19 but they've literally given you loads of links to blogs to this to that and that idea of the ib which runs you know you know 5000 schools or whatever as the curator of education experiences so the ib if that itself can become the learning organisation involved in the system learning of the whole IB system. And if they can take a role, not just in curating under COVID, but also taking on board what James just said, you know, there's loads of great case studies out there, the role of the IB curating the system, but also putting it in a way that all of us can find it. There's a lot of stuff there which they could really curate best, and the fantastic practice in our schools, forming those cameos, putting connections between schools.
5: Cheryl.
4: And following on from that, one of the things that the world has learned at the moment is that you need a trusted community and I know I was um, in February when we were looking at online possibilities because we started very early. I scoured the internet to see what other people were doing but I found models from schools that were really different from ours and that, whose models wouldn't have worked. So for us, the IB hopefully is a trusted community, and therefore that would be a great place to be able to go, not for everything, but for nuts and bolts and for inspiration. And then if we needed more, we can venture out. So I, I do think there's a huge role there waiting to
5: be filled. Thank you. Certainly plenty of potential for the future that's come out of COVID. We've had a long conversation today and looked at uh, a few of the challenges and many of the hopeful benefits that we can continue to make use of and develop from in the future. I wanna thank the panelists for all of your ideas, sharing your thoughts and passions about education and hopes for the future. With any luck, we'll uh, get to have a few more conversations perhaps about further down the track about what we've managed to keep and, and how it's moving forward. And really looking forward to seeing what the IB as a community, a whole community, can do to support its schools and its members. Thank you all again so much for your time.
0: Thank you for listening. Subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. Be sure to check out more episodes of IB Voices on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Join us next time for more insights from our IB community.